Sudar, I got to give it to you. You're like LinkedIn search number one when I just type S-U-D-A-R. It's like, you're the guy. I think I'm pretty much the only person in the world with this name. Yeah, <laughs> no. his, his name was generated. Uh, my his parents used, uh, used LastPass and just like hit that. <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't, why aren't we recording this right now? We should be recording this. So this is gold. Hello, my friends. Thank you for joining us for the PEPCAC podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all-around good people. It is week 10 of 2022. I'm Chris Louie, and we have started a new month. Happy March, everyone. Spring is near, and people around the country can start to defrost. With me, I have my co-host, Brian Deach, who definitely needs to defrost after that Arizona winter. I know what you're talking about, baby. It is actually, it's March Madness, baby. Aren't you guys excited? Let's talk brackets today. Villanova all the way. I always pick Villanova to go all the way. Why Villanova, of all things? That just makes no sense. You didn't even go to Villanova. <laughs> I didn't, but fun fact, my first year here at ZSCO, I started ZSCO in February. I participated in March Madness, I was only a month in, and I actually won the entire bracket company-wide because I picked Villanova to go all the way. So they have a special place in my heart. Fun fact, there was 12 employees, so congratulations. Like, I'm still number one, the... I'm still number one. It's like marrying the prettiest Danny's waitress. Good for oh, you. you're number one, all right. You're number one, all right, in many ways, Chris. <laughs> and we have Glenn Medina, who has also been suffering through the cold with me here in California. Yeah, it's definitely been cold. Hey everyone, welcome back and thanks for joining us. Happy to be back for number five. Oh, can you believe it? It's been a blast and I'm happy to make it back for this auspicious podcast. Looking forward to our, uh, our, our, our chat here. Brian's frantically Googling what is suspicious. Auspicious, excuse me. <laughs> it's <getting> suspicious. <laughs> suspicious, auspicious. <laughs> yes. This week, we are honored to have Sahir Hidayatullah and Sudarshan Pisupati. Sahir was the founder and CEO of a red teaming company, which was acquired, and then went on to start Smokescreen Technologies, a deception security company that was acquired by Zscaler and now serves as vice president of active defense. Sudarshan, or as we'll call him on this podcast, SP, was the chief technology evangelist and employee number four at Smokescreen, and now currently serves as a principal security researcher here at Zscaler. Sahir and SP, would you like to say anything to open the show? Hey, thanks, Chris. Uh, great to be here and looking forward to all the action. So, uh, Sudarshan, nice to be talking uh, again. Long time. <laughs> we live in the same city, but we, yeah, exactly. But we haven't seen each other in three years. Talk about social distancing there. My gosh, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you guys don't do Thanksgiving together? <laughs> well... Um, I, I don't think they celebrate Thanksgiving over we, there, we, Brian. We celebrate whatever, whatever gets us a holiday here. We, we celebrate it. There you go. There yeah. you go. Glenn, don't be culturally <laughs> insensitive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, Mr. Brian. <laughs> I'm happy to say, combined, we have over a century of information security experience and are here not just to educate, but to entertain. The show format for this week is going to be a little bit different, and we're going to be able to have an awesome interview with the uh, the Smokescreen team here. So I'm going to open the podcast with a quote. All warfare is based on deception. For years, the West hypocrisy has made the world a battlefield. The corrupt talk while our brothers and sons spill their own blood. But deceit cuts both ways. The bigger the lie, the more likely people will believe it. 
and when a nation cries for vengeance, the lie spreads like a wildfire. The fire builds, devouring everything in its path. Our enemies believe that they alone dictate the course of history, and all it takes is the will of a single man. And this was spoken by a guy named Vladimir Makarov. So just based on the name, you can imagine which region he's from. And I thought this was quite appropriate since we're probably going to get into a little bit of the deception technology here and also with the current events of what's been going on in the Russia and Ukraine today. Yeah, a name like that, he's definitely from New Mexico. You're right. <laughs> Dead giveaway. <laughs> We'll get to that. Typing teach. Here we go. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get to that in a bit. But I thought for opening topic, it'd be I'll I'll throw you guys a softball. So this first here and SP. What is the fondest memory of starting your own company, taking it all the way to the acquisition, and you becoming employee number one and employee number four, respectively? Mm, That's a good one. I think for me, uh, sort of the most fun memory was the first time, you know, we had this idea that um, my co-founder and I were going to start this company and we said, we'll give it like six months. And if nobody has bought anything, we're going to shut it down. Um, And in six months, nobody had bought anything. So (laughs) we basically said, okay, we can either continue because we had all these guys and we're paying their salaries and we're like, okay, if we shut it down, this is going to like, we're going to get beaten up. Uh, so we basically decided to continue the company for another six months because we were worried that guys like SP were going to come after us. And then like the sales started happening. So it's it's a motivational quote for salespeople. If you think that your employees are going to come and kick you up, but then, you know, that's going to keep the company going. Were you guys self-funded or what was going on there? Yep. Bootstrap, debt-free, profitable, uh, almost every year since inception. No VC. Wow. Poster, wow. ch- poster child amazing. of no VC, which is weird in cybersecurity. Very much so. So I, I guess at, at what point, what was the turning point that you guys, oh man, this is good. We, we, we got this. How did you guys figure that out? Or what did that feel? What did it, what did you guys see? And, and so Dashan, you can chime in here, but Glenn, good, good question. So basically we always had a lot of faith in the fact that this stuff worked because we all came from that red teaming background and, you know, bunch of red teamers over beers would always say the one thing that caught us was either like a suspicious user or a honeypot. So we knew it worked. It's just, could we get security officers to kind of understand it and actually deploy it? Um, and Sudarshan, when he came in, uh, was batting a 100% track record of breaking into stuff. He now has a 99% track record. And there's a story there. Yeah. Oh, do tell. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll, I'll get to that story. But I think uh, uh, to your question, Glenn, uh, I think I'll tell you a story. Uh, Sahir, I don't know if you would remember this, but I think it was after uh, a briefing call uh, and, and we had already closed a couple of deals um, in addition to the ones that were already been closed. So I think we were doing pretty well and we were all on this conference call. And I clearly remember you saying, uh, folks, the the rocket has left the atmosphere, and we are headed to the moon. Maybe even Mars. I just don't know whether we'll uh, whether we're going to crash land there, <laughs> right? Or or, or or whether we're going to have a smooth landing. But rest assured, we're not coming back down to Earth. And and that was the moment I knew that you know we we were on to something here and. And things were going really great. I think this was around end of 2017, if I'm not mistaken. 
I I stole that yeah. I stole that from the B roll of Independence Day, by the way. There you go. So, <laughs> so is that what here came out was like, woo, we're going, we're going. He's raising his hands and pumping his fists. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he had another one. Uh, he had another one, uh, which which we would use quite often. Uh, so I remind me of the exact quote, but you know, first they ignore you, then they yeah, uh, first they, they laugh at you, and then then there's, you win. Yeah. yeah. Then you yeah. win, yeah. That was that was another one that was used a lot in 2018, I think. <laughs> yeah, nice. Same thing with yeah, all my it's... high school girlfriends. First they <laughs> laugh at you, then they ignore you, <laughs> and then they still ignore you. <laughs> then you follow them home yeah. one day. And... Now I'm hot. They all on me, you know. And then, and then, Mike Jones, and then he said it best. And then you carry a pink camera with you wherever you go. <laughs> Shut your mouth. <laughs> Shut your mouth. You don't talk about that. <laughs> There's a funny story behind that, which probably can't get into. We'll have to bring the wives in for that one. Yeah, we should do a wives episode at some point. Yeah. So, Tahir and SP, walk me through what it felt like when Zscaler's general counsel or our vice president of business development called you and says, we're going to do this, we're going to acquire you. So, so Chris, here's the funny thing. Um, I'd been chatting with Zscaler for a couple of years. I, I'd um, met Amit. Um, I'd spoken with Brad like a million times. Like Brad and I used to catch up every conference. Um, uh, I think we both bonded over the fact that we, we couldn't stand Black Hat. Um, like that was just a thing. I think <laughs> like that's how kind of corporate it became or I, I think one just, particular. Just um, more than two days in Vegas is essentially something that's problematic. So we, we were always Don't in wash touch. off. Yeah, it won't wash off. Exactly. Well said. <laughs> and so we were always in touch. Um, and so we were thinking of maybe doing something earlier. And then, you know, we changed direction and we were sort of going on. The pandemic had hit. Uh, we were doing well because of that, funnily. Um, and then I reached out um, to, to Brad to sort of look at whether we could OEM or bake in the technology as part of something Zscaler was doing. And then as we started talking more, stuff that had been whiteboarded two years ago essentially became how we could integrate with uh, ZPA. Um, and the more we thought about that, the more that made sense. And because we'd spent so much time together, I, you know, I knew the team, they knew us, there was a lot of comfort. You know, culturally, I think that was probably the most interesting thing. Uh, we had other suitors, but um, I remember like calling a board meeting on the 31st of December and saying, hey, look, I think this makes sense. Um, you know, they know us, we know them. Um, we like each other and we actually have a product play. This is not just something where the tech is just going to sit and die in a corner. Um, and so we took that call overnight. We didn't have an investment bank or anything. We did that like literally Jan 1st and we moved forward from there. And suffice to say, I'm, I, I'm um, super, super happy that I got that call right. Yeah, I remember um, um, when the whole conversation started, um, obviously, uh, I think for the most part, Sahir and Bhavesh were uh, the ones that were, were involved. Bhavesh was the CTO, um, uh, more on a day-to-day basis uh, with what was going on. <clears throat> um, I, I chose the stance of uh, complete denial that this is happening uh, because, you know, it's just no point uh, no point thinking about it um, uh, until it happens. It, it, it's like a bit of it doesn't happen. cautious optimism. Yeah. No, no. I, I think we even shut out cautious optimism. Um, <laughs> it, it was only it was only up until the point where where Sahir uh, 
you know told uh you know the rest of the founding team that folks this is done uh you know it's going through was was when we were like okay now let's sit and absorb that this is actually real after the deal closed how quickly did you check your like your banking account or e-trade <laughs> <laughs> we, we checked it. We, we we checked it to make sure the deal had closed. So we, we got a text message, and then we we're like, okay, the deal is closed. Until then, it was not closed in our books. <laughs> yeah, spoken like a true per, uh, salesperson, right? The PO's in, and deal's not closed. That's it. And and the funny thing is, for some reason, my co-founder Ravi, uh, the bank didn't send him a text message. So what happened is, we're all sitting there on a call, and you know, the Zscaler team is like, okay, wires have gone out, we're closed, etc. Everyone has seen a message from their bank except my co-founder, and he's like, "What's happening? What's happening? What's happening?" And, and, Short squeeze. And, and, yeah, and the other weird thing that happened, and you know, um, my last name can essentially, if 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 you fly as often as I used to, I'm basically used to being screened separately all the time. So my last name hits something on some federal list. So my wire transfer was delayed and I had to prove I was who I was. So there was a no, lot no. of drama going on. <laughs> and we had a hurricane at the same time. Yeah, you remember uh, I, uh, one of the bank documents, um, they they had a problem with my signature. Uh, and, and so there was a bunch of stuff going, uh, going around at the same time on, on the signature as well. So it was quite crazy. Yeah, I, I so don't recommend everything. Yeah, it, it's nothing like you ever experienced. Yeah, I, I do I mean, not recommend it's, Emini. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's nothing like you ever experienced. It's, it, it's, it's, it's something else. It's not as glamorous as we believe it to be. No, no, no. It's glamorous afterwards. Yeah, afterwards. Yeah, afterwards. It's pretty cool. But while it's happening, I mean, it's just not cool. So I wonder. I wonder through the process if your co-founder ever thought he got zucked, like you know how Zuckerberg kicked out his partner at Facebook right before you know the company went not not before they went public, but he just basically kicked out his partner Eduardo Savern. I wonder if that was what was going through his mind. Did I sign something I wasn't supposed to? And he was just thinking of that's why the money didn't come through. I, I got all these guys mm -hmm. to give me like wet signed documents because we were all in different parts of the world at that point. So I had all I had all the signatures beforehand, so that would have been a big problem for him, but not for everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> What did what did the co-founder go do? Did he just uh, decide to bow out, or is he doing something else? Uh, Ravi is now doing something in the private home automation space. He basically wants you to have an Amazon oh, Echo cool. and you know no Philips Hue lights, nothing going to the cloud. So he's doing that thing. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Cool. That's yeah, Brian's thing. attention. Yeah, he he does not like the the Echo devices. Yeah, it was like a very. Have you guys ever seen Office Space? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. We had to take it out and show it its, uh, you know, little lesson. Spike it like a football. <laughs> nice. I'll, I'll, I'll connect you with him. You'll, you'll get a 20% discount. Beer diary. Thank you. <laughs> well, that's Coupon code smokescreen. That's because the kids were recording his sessions, his conversations with his wife. That's why. So <laughs> They're dropping in and he's dropping. Yeah. Figured out the Christmas gift list, you know. Good for them. All right, this question is for SP, and you, you sort of alluded to this this earlier, so I'm glad that, that we have a trail to this question. Uh, when you were at Ernst & Young, you were accredited with over 500 separate hacking assignments, which is significant on its own. And even more amazing, you achieved a 99% successful breach rate. Can you tell us about your most rewarding hack and your most frustrating hack? Maybe that 1% where you just couldn't find a way in. 
Yeah, the 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 rewarding one uh, happened actually at 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 Smokescreen. There was this um, customer that that we really wanted to sign on, um, I, and so we we're kind of doing this uh, breach kind of prior to to that. It was kind of important to the deal as well, um, <clears throat> and I think uh, it took. Uh, usually, uh, you know, if you go into most environments, you're the way things are set up right now, you're probably done in a couple of days. Uh, and this is probably a, a standard thing that most red teamers are going to tell you. Uh, but in this case, the the environment uh, was was just a massive environment and it just takes a lot of time to process all the information that you're seeing. Yeah, performing the reconnaissance and, so, uh, and spreading laterally. Yeah. Just, just even getting yeah. your footing, I'm sure it takes a while. Right, uh, and, and it's a chained attack, so... Uh, it's not like you go from zero to domain admin straight away. You, you have to jump multiple privilege levels, and each privilege level just takes you that just that one step further, and not like five steps further. Uh, and and what happened in that assessment was, uh, week one I had squat. I mean, I mean deadly squat. And um, the second week, uh, the co-founder starts uh, Ravi, who Sai just mentioned, he starts calling me on a day-to-day -day basis. Sahir is still not calling me. At the end of the week. I even start getting a call from Sahir, like, hey, what's going on? Like, where are we? You know, um, and I, I was just pretty much there, like 24 by 7. And then I think it was on the, the 17th day uh, that I managed to find one account, just one, one account that had privileges to pull uh, passwords off of the DC. And it was just uh, perseverance, just staying there, wait, waiting for that person to log in. Uh, you know, checking day and night because you knew they had to, you know, figuring out from LinkedIn whether they're on vacation, you know, Facebook, <laughs> yeah, where, your, where, your, why isn't this person logging in? Why isn't this person yeah. logging in? And, and then they did. Uh, and so, so that was, that was, that was really cool. Um, the, the second the that he logged in, what did you pull like a Boris from GoldenEye? You said, yes, I am invincible. <laughs> no, uh, you know, funnily, it's, it's the opposite. Your hands are shivering because, you're like, you know, there's a lot riding on this, right? So, so your hands are like shaking. And then um, the worst thing that can happen at that point is you fat finger the password. And then you and, lock the and, account. You know, that, that triggers something <laughs> that, that triggers something there. Because you know the password's correct, right? Because you pulled it off of memory. So you know that that's a legit password. Uh, but but you still can't make a mistake when you're when you're trying to validate that. Um, so so that was that was really fun. The one that was frustrating was actually the reason why I ended up joining Smokescreen in the first place. Uh, uh, I, I, when I was in EY, I, I was uh, I was actually in the US. I was uh, you know based out of Houston, and and I was in this you know I was sent to this uh, organization um, in in uh, Columbus, nondescript uh, you know little building. Uh, you wouldn't even know um, uh, know the place. Walked in there. This person uh, has full control over IT. I mean, one of the rare occasions where security has total control over IT. And so this person has planted traps everywhere. And at that time, uh, our MO used to be, hey, you know, get as many sites and subnets as you can, and then you know, do a quick discovery ping scan. Uh, and the moment that goes, it, it, um, you know, he had a bunch of traps laid out. Um, it triggers all of the traps and he's at our desk. I think that's probably <laughs> the only time. Uh, that's probably the only time 
I've ever been caught in that way where where you've literally seen response where somebody comes right up to you and goes like, "So did you, you do doing? this? <laughs> <laughs> this you? <laughs> no, no, it was no, no, it wasn't. Did you? It, it was what are you doing? <laughs> so so, nice. so there was there was no doubt. There yeah. was no doubt. And so when yeah. I saw Smokescreen had was doing this, I mean, for me it was a no brainer. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I signed up. So that's a great story, right? So of all the things, of all the 500, you know, you're 100% there. What are the the easiest things that people could be doing as we try and educate our audience? Like, guys, if you would just change your passwords from admin, admin, or user from admin, admin, you could could save so much. So what were the most, like, probably, like, top three things that you would recommend our users to do? Um, In a a corporate perspective, I think... One of the key takeaways is um, just just how graphically the the organization is laid out in terms of attack paths, uh, and that's a complex concept to kind of explain to people that this is how it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically, you know, the you can't prevent the compromise of a set of credentials. I mean, there's there's tons of ways to get that. The problem really is that you can use that single set of credentials and escalate privileges and move laterally and and inflict damage, kind of like what ransomware does, right? Just gets into the environment, has a set of credentials, then escalates, and then can ransomware everything. That that's kind of the same MO uh, that that most red teamers have. Uh, and after a point, it's not even about vulnerabilities and exploits. Uh, it's pretty much about traversing uh, these these attack paths that are easily available in the environment. And uh, and I think. If I had to give one piece of advice, I would be that our organizations should know what that attack graph looks like in their organization and try to understand what's the concept that that drives that so that they can fix for that, right? Because that's how adversaries think. Adversaries think in graphs and defenders think in lists. I think we had it. So we are always... Didn't we have a t-shirt at one point which said, stop patching, fix active directory? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had, that's yeah. very fitting yeah I, I even wanted funding I, I wanted funding from sahir when we were uh smoke screen to take out a full front page ad uh on all in all the big newspapers uh that said uh fix kerber roasting uh the the kerber roasting attack i mean it's it, it's ridiculous it's it's everywhere it's, it's the gift everywhere. that keeps on giving i'm sure as, yeah. as a red yeah, teamer yeah it's one of those things it's one of those things that that work even today, no matter where you go, it's always there. Can you can you explain how that Kerber roasting actually works for the audience? Yeah, it's it's basically uh, uh, there there's service accounts uh, in Active Directory. Uh, typically, you know, for example, when you install an MS SQL Server, you you need to uh, you need people to be able to authenticate to it, uh, and so you can install it under a particular user account. Now, in terms of the attack, here's what happens: you have a user account. User account in Active Directory have attributes. There's an attribute called the service principle name. If you want to really make this super simple, if that SPN attribute is set, it's likely that there's a mechanism for you to get a password hash of that account. The reason why you can do that is fundamentally because of how Kerberos works. I can go into the details of how Kerberos works, but in a nutshell, if you have this user account and the service principle name attribute is set, you can get the get the password account, uh, the, the password hash of that account. Now, typically what happens with service accounts is 
you don't tend to cha- rotate the passwords that often because it's it's running a service. Yeah, and a, a lot, lot of the, automation the will break. Like if you change a service right. down, and IT people do not like updating automation. Yeah, right. And and we found service accounts that whose passwords were set back in 2012, because when those accounts get created, their their passwords are never set uh, are set to never expire. Mm-hmm. Right. And so now you have the situation where you get into this environment and you have a service account that was probably created in 2010, 12, right? Uh, and and nobody knows what the password is, but the password's pretty weak and you grab a password hash and then you run it uh, through a password uh, cracker uh, with, a, with a good enough dictionary and boom, you're in. The crazy part is because it's a service account, it has privileges. And in many cases, it's actually domain admin. Uh, so I was, if you go, if you go, uh, kind of through the, the, um, the text around solar winds that happened, um, you, you will see the mention of this word curb roasting. It's very nondescript. It's one in one of the Microsoft, uh, explanations of the adversary playbook around, around how the solar winds hack happened. Uh, and it's just, there's just one line that they've just thrown in there that, that says the attackers tried curb roasting. And I'm like, well, the moment you read that as a red teamer, you go like, Okay, now that makes sense. I probably can guess now what has happened just because I see that one thing. Because it's a domain, probably a domain admin service account with a weak password that, by the way, which you can access with regular credentials. So if I if I modify that service account, is it not permitted to log on locally? To yeah. does, is that a, a protection mechanism at all? Right. I, I mean, it depends upon how uh, how. Uh, how locked down it is. You can still use it uh, on the place where it is allowed. If it's a domain admin, I mean, it will be allowed on oh, the domain controller. That's what you need. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A lot of the times, people say don't log on interactively, which sounds like you're, you're solving the problem, but it just means he can't RDP. He can do like a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. So number so one, yeah. valid credentials. Yeah. SP, like when we have a barbecue, it's at your house because you're not allowed within like five miles of my house. This, so we're on the same page. Like, I love you, man, but uh, yeah, don't touch anything that I own because you're going to have a field day. I, I think I remember a time also back when I was a customer where we would use service accounts and we would reuse those service accounts multiple times, you know, and right for multiple jobs. And you're like, oh, this is probably not a good, good idea. Very so. poor account hygiene. Yeah, yeah. And the password yeah, would be I like, think... I love Brian Deitch, you know, so. <laughs> Easy Difficult. to guess. You know, what's... Oh, yeah. I, I, fun stories on, on password cracking. So you, you can actually, uh, you, you know that from Active Directory, you can pull the whole list of passwords once you have, um, uh, once you have the privileges, right? And, and so many customers would say, okay, let's do password analytics, right? And man, the passwords that people set yeah, it there, there's very little I love, but there's a lot of I hate. <laughs> like I hate, and then so, just pick per, yeah. pick that person's boss, and then you're in. Yeah, and also uh, stuff that I can't say here, others you'll get the NSFW tag on <laughs> yeah. on, on, on your podcast. To tell us offline. <laughs> so so funny that you you bring that up because uh, back in the day uh, when I worked at an airline. We had like this admin account that we would set and we, the password was like what we call the hockey stick. So if you imagine you're looking at your keyboard, it was some form or fashion of that. Uh, and fast forward like seven years and I'm at a completely different organization and we're doing something uh, around, you know, active directory and they, they cut me an account and the password was the hockey stick. I was like, 
this is freaking weird, right? But it's in the same state. <laughs> so I went on LinkedIn, started poking around. Sure enough, one of the guys I worked with had gone, like right after I had started, he went over there to go work there. And then since then he had left, but he had taken the password that we were using for admin and took it to an entire another organization. Wow. Yeah. Brian Deach won. It's the password. <laughs> that is not a hockey stick, Chris. Come on. All right, so here, I picked the quote to open the podcast because I understand you are a fan of historic military strategy, which is actually quite fitting with your background in, in active defense. I used to watch this show called Deadliest Warrior, where they would put two warrior types together in battle who would have never actually met in the battlefield. So you'll have like a, a Spartan warrior versus a samurai, or you'll have a pirate versus a knight. For the record, it was a stupid show, but it really entertain teenage Chris. So my question for us to hear is if you could put any two militaries or warrior types together in a fake battle to see what would happen, who would be, who would they be and why? Hmm. So there's actually, there's, there's this um, new video game, I forget what it's called, which basically simulates exactly this. And I've been watching these videos, binging them on YouTube. Uh, but anyway, uh, let me pick the deception I know version. I you're talking about, by the way. Oh, you know it's which hilarious. one, right? It's, yeah. it's just yeah, nuts, yeah. right? It's like Thor versus Spider-Man. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? So you can do like, yeah, you can do like uh, Thanos versus a samurai, you know, stuff like that. Um, and it's super well simmed. But anyway, I'm going to pick a deception version and try to make it topical, right? Just to go for extra points. Sure. So you take, um, while he wasn't traditionally, you know, he didn't really have anything to do with the military per se, uh, Niccolo Machiavelli, who's known... Uh, for writing the yeah, prince, the prince, yeah. yeah, which which many people say is is satire. So depending on how you read it, but it still sort of it gives you a bunch of stuff about deception. In fact, if you log into the smokescreen console, um, there's literally a quote from Machiavelli there. So you pick Machiavelli as a thinker on one side, um, and then on the other side you pick to be sort of topical. Cold War Russia, they 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 have this concept of maskirovka, which is essentially the master plan or or disguise or deceit. Right. And that meant everything from camouflage to like massive Russian campaigns for how they would basically uh, deceive or outwit the adversary uh, mentally. So I find that sort of, um, you know, mental challenge of this person versus that person, no brute force involved. It's just like who's outthinking the other one uh, on the battlefield. I find that pretty interesting. So probably Machiavelli uh, versus somebody KGB in the 70s. And, and so here for my notes, are we talking about Machiavelli, like like Tupac? Like, he died or a different guy? Right? I just want to make it straight. I've not read his most recent discourse, no. <laughs> I remember reading the... a story when we when you're, you're talking about deception and uh, KGB and undercover agents, you know, the CIA. Uh, there was a story that said a number of CIA operatives that were deep cover KGB agents, they got caught. And the reason that they got caught was in Russia... When they staple something to your passport, they use very cheap steel on those staples. And over time, those staples would rust. And then when the CIA would forge those passports, they would use like stainless steel staples or some kind of metal that, that didn't rust. And if they examined the passport and there's no rust on it, well, they knew they were a CIA operative and, and they got caught that way. Yeah, caught by low-grade technology right there. <laughs> You've seen how they, they, they've profiled people that the, the way that they carry flowers. Like in America, we, we tend to hold them like the, the flowers pointed up. And then in other countries, like maybe Germany, I have no idea. It's it's like this kind of like walking around like you're sweeping the floor with it. 
And so on purpose, just to mess with people, I'm always just wandering around stores with my flowers pointed down just to, just in case someone's watching, you know, just you to irritate know. people like you're yeah. not supposed to hold it that way or, or to trick them into Soviet thinking Russia. you're a KGB or FSB officer <laughs> or just plain dumb. That, there's, there's a really famous uh, movie that probably everyone will figure, um, uh, World War Two movie, um, the name would be probably a bit NSFW here, but um, literally the giveaway in one of the opening scenes is somebody asks for three glasses of beer, and if you do three this way, it's culturally different from three this way, right? So yeah, inglorious, inglorious, yeah. something, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but that, but that's, that, that's that's a European thing, right? And yeah. I don't know if our, you know, like I said, those who lived in Europe or, and have traveled understand that three versus you know, the three, which is the American way, right? Yeah. Um, this is the only way to do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So for our audio-only listeners, I think in Germany, they use the thumb, the pointer, and the middle finger, and then they hold that up, and that's three. In the U.S. and the U.K., you hold the pointer, the middle finger, and the ring finger. No and Brian, for some strange reason, holds up his middle finger, his ring finger, and his pinky, and he makes an okay sign, basically. Well, because then if you bring it down to your knee... And someone looks at it. That's that. And you get to I don't, punch it's him. It's the penis gazer, right? So then you get to punch <laughs> him in the in the throat. In, in India, that's very nice. Yeah. The oh, okay wow. sign. Yeah. Okay. All right. That won't get you a beer though at the bar at an American bar. I, I don't care what yeah. Brian says. <laughs> You'll just get the okay. <laughs> what do you want at the bar? <laughs> All right, SP. I understand you are a fan of heavy metal. Is that true? Yep. Oh man. Favorite band? Band? Yeah. Who's your favorite heavy metal band, and and what instrument do you play? Uh, so I play I play the guitar. Um, I've I've kind of been shifting a lot uh, in my musical choices. I think if I had to go evergreen, something that I could listen to anytime, uh, it would be three of them. Uh, Metallica, Megadeth, and Iron Maiden. A- any day of the week, uh, you know, there, there's no doubt about that. Um, wait, 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 hold on. No ACDC inside there? Come on. <laughs> no, no, it's just it's just something that that was very uh, that that was very uh, kind of situational uh, for me growing up. Okay. I, I was introduced to these three bands. That's how I got into it, and that that's how I, I stayed with it. Um, uh, with ACDC, it's like yeah, you know couple of songs here and there uh but but really hardcore on on these three bands they, they have only um, one song acdc but what a song it is right yeah 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 don't stop uh, actually it, now, right? now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, brian the troll <laughs> yeah it's, it's a thunderstruck thunderstruck uh-huh. but 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 yeah um but more recently it's uh, uh I, I mean joe satriani i mean for for me that that person is uh, something else. You know, not only has he kind of been the person that that's pushed guitarists like Slash, Steve Vai, Kirk Hammett forward, um, but but you know, there was this interview, and this is the reason why I really like him. He's so down to earth. I, I've I've been to every time he was in Houston, I would I would buy front row just to watch him, uh, and you know he he has this interview where he says, you know. The difference between me and Steve Vai is that Steve Vai is just gifted. You know, he was born to play the guitar. 
So he can go on a vacation for 15 days and he would come back, pick up the guitar and he would play even better than he was playing before. Whereas if I miss a single day of practice, uh, I start fumbling. Wow. And, I think you got to qualify that, that though, right? He probably came back from 15 days of vacation on Coke or something or some illicit <laughs> drug and played better because of yeah. that. So. Performance enhancing yeah. drugs. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. Uh, and, and Joe Satriani was probably implying that even if he did that, he wouldn't be able to do that. So, you know, uh, so, so uh, no, I, I, I really admire the man. He's, he's, he's quite something. For me, he's, he's top tier. And Brian, just like the freeway that you're on, you're on your background is in. You're on a highway to hell, right yeah. there. <laughs> well, it is in Arizona. <laughs> so you know what's so funny about your interest in heavy metal is like, I just imagine like you know you're just walking in, you're like your you know briefcase and you're like your nerdy little tines. You're in a customer meeting, do some red teaming. You got your AirPods yeah. in, and you're like. You know, yeah. you, you look like a pleasant enough guy, but meanwhile, it's just like, ah, wait a hell. And just casually types away. <laughs> no one has any idea what's going on in his head. It's another dude having a good time. So, yeah. So are you listening? Like when you're in your, your hackathon mode, are you like <laughs> headphones on, loud blaring music, or is it opera yeah. and you're just banging away at the keyboard? Actually, uh, you know, that that's the funny thing. Uh, it's It's a lot of just waiting I, okay. I mean this is excellent uh this is excellent mean uh that you know uh that that's basically got keanu uh from from the matrix on one side you know and and they make it look like that's what hacking really is yeah uh, and on the other side there's this there's this dude just staring at the computer like and then just waiting and then for he goes something like, oh wait a minute oh wait a minute oh no never mind and, and then just goes back to staring at the computer so that that's really what it's like for the most part. Okay. Like, so it's not like yeah. Swordfish. Yeah, cool. it's not like Swordfish where Hugh Jackman's like trying to get yeah, this cube. Multiple monitors M building Multiple the monitors. It does, you're saying it doesn't work Hollywood. like that. They ruin everything. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, uh, for example, if you if you run like an Nmap scan, right? Like, let's say, you know, the customer wants you to do discovery on the network. So you run an Nmap scan. Like what exactly do you have to do after that? I mean, the, the the tool is doing everything. Like it's going and scanning and figuring out, and you're scanning thirty thousand hosts. What do you do? So, yeah, you know, depending upon how much mobility you have in uh, in the customer environment, uh, you're either hanging out and having a having a coffee, or you're you're basically just listening to music. I mean, you're just basically staring at the screen for the most part. Yeah, you can socially really engineer. You can yeah. you can shoulder surf. <laughs> you can try to piggyback someone inside a secure uh, area. I, I still want to find. Have you found in a sticky note. Yeah. Uh, there, there was this one uh, which had uh, the oceans. Uh, uh, I've actually written about it on the on the smoke screen. I, I don't know if it got translated into Zscaler yet, but there was a uh, uh, assignment that I had, which was very Oceans Eleven, where where you literally had to walk into this organization and they had kept a laptop. Uh, in in one of the cubicles, and you have to just walk in, pick up the laptop, connect it, get domain admin, and then walk out with the laptop. It's pretty intense. Yeah, I'm sure when you're actually I, I, in person doing these in person assignments. Yeah. Yeah, you know you had to show evidence of the fact that you you actually broke in, and so for that you had to take a picture that to prove that you were actually in there and. 
and all the pictures were grainy because you know your hands are shaking i mean i i can't believe people <laughs> I, I, I can't believe people do this for real i mean you, you know make, they make it look cool in the yeah you didn't install the golden certificate on their and on their ad server or anything like that showing validation no, no. you didn't leave yeah. them an nft <laughs> you usually leave a calling card or something to prove yeah. you were there <laughs> yeah that uh, that's the difference between uh, between what the constraints that we have you know you uh, you know everything is the red teamer's fault right so anything goes down anywhere what did you guys do <laughs> you know it was you pure coincidence yeah yeah, yep. yeah. you can do the shaggy approach right the shaggy defense it wasn't me it wasn't yeah. me <laughs> or the montel jordan approach this is how we do it yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. So here, in a 2016 interview you gave at NILF, you said that you disrupted the act of hiring by gamifying the interview process, which could stretch out two or maybe even three days. And I've had four-hour panel interviews, which I thought were long. So can you give us an example of how the changes you made to the interview process attracted the most talented people? Yeah, in fact, uh, that was something that Sudarshan uh, worked on a lot. So basically, we said, could we make interviewing fun? Because one of the biggest problems as a startup was, you know, you're not attracting people necessarily with brand name or in many cases, maybe not even the best comp that they can get. So you've got to really make, you've got to solve for fit, fun, freedom, not fortune, right? Um, and so we said, can we get like the best guys interested and make them just relentlessly want to work with us? And how do you do that? So one is you've got to make it interesting. So, um, you know, a lot of people do challenges uh, in their interviews. It's very common. But we really spent a lot of time trying to make those challenges something that are, um, the only person that would actually complete one of those challenges is just someone who's obsessed with this. Like, there is no way it would have been reasonable for us to give this to you as an interview challenge. Um, it would go through all sorts of weird stuff that you would need to do, break into something, find some information somewhere else, um, do something. There were there were places where there we would basically ask questions um, in the challenge and those questions were just not possible to solve. So it's essentially like you cannot solve this. Um, it's like the Kobayashi Maru from Star Trek. It's, it's an insolvable problem, but you want to see how they handle it. Exactly. And, and, and the cool thing was... Um, we started we started filtering out we, we had a really good brand name as a startup we were known as an engineering shop and you know uh, red team slash ir shop so we used to get so many cvs and this was just the best way for us to drop down that number of people that we needed to talk to and do a phone screen um and, and like the cool thing is we were discussing nmap right so everyone has this idea like you know you install nmap uh, the best pro tip like ever, and if somebody said this to us in a call, they were like, I don't use Nmap, I use SoftPerfect Network Scanner. We would yeah. be like, all right, yeah. you, you know what you're talking about because a, a real adversary <laughs> will never use Nmap. You have to install it. You need to install WinPCAP, which is a driver. But the pro tip for, mm -hmm. for anyone who runs any IT or security infrastructure, if you ever see a football icon in your taskbar, it's a little GUI tool called SoftPerfect Network Scanner. You've been breached by... Mm -hmm. Some bear, fancy bear, dancing bear. I'm not sure which bear, but bears love that. APT 28. Yeah, yeah. 28, 29. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so we used to do fun stuff like this. And then we, you know, at some point we just, I think we pretty much gave up. Uh, we used to just ask stupid questions like, would you rather fight um, 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? Things like that. Yeah. That's Brian's question. Yeah, and it, it, it works. At least it helps you find people that you're interested in chatting with and for the next two to three years of, 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 of life. 
But yeah, because yeah. I mean, it really goes both ways that you, you get an influx of people that are interested in how do you weed out the, you know, the unqualified people, the script kiddies, how do you get the top talent? But it also goes the other way that, you know, the, the same truth in 2016 is still true in 2022. Cybersecurity hiring is extremely difficult. It's hard to find good people. It's hard to attract them. It's hard to retain them. It's fortunately a field that's that's growing, but, you know, the talent pool just isn't growing fast enough. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, I think the 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 thing that we used to do at Smokescreen also doesn't work anymore. I think that's that's in the past. Yeah, now. don't don't try the uh, horse-sized duck question at Zscaler, Sudarshan. I don't think that. Yeah, yeah. The 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 horse-sized uh, the those questions uh they they're no longer cool. Uh, and uh, Brian and so, I think so they're so cool. Grow, grow. That, that was the how many <laughs> how many five-year-olds how many five-year-olds <laughs> could you questions. beat in a cage match was another one. <laughs> 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 why why are these sounding so familiar chris i think we've saw, we've heard this before <laughs> yeah and even the even the challenges i i think even um uh from, from an interviewing perspective because uh, i've been doing that a lot um it, it, you have to be a lot more pinpoint with decision making right now i mean you 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 can't stretch out the interview uh for for days like we we could in the past um though that uh that probably still makes sense today. I mean, the fundamental is strong uh, for that approach because it's hands-on work if you're doing a challenge, right? Uh, so you you already have, the, the candidate has a sense of what kind of work you're going to do where, when you join the team. We get a sense of, hey, is this actually going to, there is there actually going to be a fit here? Uh, but, uh, and it's a, usually a marriage then made in heaven, but nowadays it's it's different definitely difficult or sometimes if they can spell Kerber roasting on the first try we'll put out an offer yeah 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 <laughs> now now it's more like if anybody explains Kerber roasting because it's uh, it's fairly complex uh, yeah you're you're getting the offer <laughs> so boys you guys have talked about a couple of tools like nmap um the soft football were you guys fans of like metasploit or or anything else like that postman maybe I, I did a lot of Metasploit work earlier. I think the problem was it was supposed to be an exploit dev framework. So it was supposed to make it easier to write exploits, which it really did. Like it would have ways that you could write buffer overflows, figure out where you were overriding in the buffer and stuff really easily. But then it just became like this thing where you could just run whatever autoporn and it would go spam the network with stuff and, and, and you know, get you shells. Um, I think like uh, this is the get off my lawn moment, but I think... Hacking was a bit more fun back then because you actually did, like most people actually did write some of their own stuff. It could be something really simple, really hacked together. Like I'm a lousy, I, I'm a lousy software engineer, but I can write really decent hacky code to do uh, things. That doesn't happen so much anymore because you can essentially download COBOL Strike uh, and you'll get everything from command and control with Jitter included and domain fronting. And it I mean, it wasn't mm -hmm. that easy back then. I'm not saying it should be easy, but I think it's definitely lowered the skill bar substantially. SP? Yeah, uh, I agree. I think uh, we had to really work hard to get uh, get to uh, some of the stuff that we we wanted to find on Pentest engagements because we had to hack together stuff. Uh, everybody was scripting, every single person. I, 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 I don't think you could survive the field uh, really well if you if you weren't doing that, but the advantage of uh, of having these frameworks is that 
uh, it has lowered the the barrier of entry but it has not been supplanted with the fact that you still need to understand how the engine works i guess yeah i, I, I think know, at this point you're offense, just using the car. offense is boring um i i really think after you've done it six yeah. times now it's just so yeah. Lather, rinse, repeat. I think defense is much harder. Like, go try figuring out how to segment a network and detect evil in like ten thousand log lines is a much harder and interesting problem to solve. Agreed with you one hundred percent on that. So, you know, on the on the on the same side, like you know, we've got some up and comers, you know, that may want to get into this field. Any advice for them? Join the Auror project, Sudarshan's pet project. Shout out to him. Yeah. Oh yeah. So come on, come on, SP. Spill the beans here. <laughs> yeah. So I I, uh, I basically started the order project um, as uh, something that I I've been meaning to do for a long time, which is uh, talk about uh, you know how, how do you actually build technical competency uh, because you know the tools are taking that away from us right now, um, and and we still need to get back to the basics. Um, and so I talk mostly about technical fundamentals, uh, and uh, I do pick on topics that are relevant to careers, which is, you know, all the stuff that's not technical. You know, being able to communicate uh, clearly, being able to write reports that are meaningful and outcome-driven. Uh, how do you negotiate? How do you interview? Uh, you know, but so it covers a range of topics, but it's very very basic at the very fundamental level for anybody that's that wants to join um, and basically the, the one of the things on the technical side that that we're doing a lot is how do you uh, in in the presence of tools that make make your life so simple how do you still have that same learning experience uh, so you know how do you build a lab how, how do you set up an attack how do you exploit it how do you detect it how do you respond to it? How, if I gave you a machine and told you to come back inside and check whether this attack has actually happened, how would you do that? You know, in in a situation of uncertainty. Uh, and so I think that's that's uh, really what what most people would need to do is start there, build your lab. You know, a lot of the tool, a lot of the stuff out there, like Hack the Box and the CTFs out there, they they suffer from this one problem that the vulnerabilities have already been set up for you. And so you're basically at a gun range and you're just pointing and shooting, right? There is no requirement for you to fundamentally understand how the gun works or, or you know, which targets to aim at, uh, you, know, you know, and that's what you need to solve for. Set up the lab, set up the vulnerability, test, uh, you know, what logs you get as a result of firing off that vulnerability and then try to scale out that problem. What if you got, you know, hundreds of log lines how would you spot this and then how do you how do you actually remediate it and that's the whole picture uh, and it's not just about the attacks sounds cool how how, how would our listeners find out more about the R project sp or is um, this a closed loop uh, system here <laughs> yeah yeah uh, so so i do run a i do run a slack channel okay uh, but uh, but yeah i i i pretty much post uh, if you go to my linkedin profile it's open um, you can just scroll through some of the posts um, uh, yeah, I'm usually always uh, nice. posting about the next stuff there. Yeah, we'll be sure to link it in the show as well. Absolutely, you're yeah. gonna you're gonna get a whole bunch of uh, followers now, SP. Yeah, 
Literally hundreds. I'm looking forward to it. Maybe tens. <laughs> tens. Maybe a couple tens. people. Maybe four. <laughs> yeah, De- definitely three. <laughs> yeah. Definitely three. That's yeah. good enough. Hey, so here I have uh, two questions. Hopefully it's really quick. So the first one would be, how'd you come up with Spokescreen for the name? And then two, how many customer engagements did you walk into where you found, you know, some nefarious threat actor poking around in the network like a field mouse, you know, dropping stuff and doing nefarious things on occasion that helped, you know, lead to uh, closing a sale? So, Brian, the first one, I, I, I'm lousy at naming things. So my wife has named all the companies I've run. And for some weird reason, they've all started with S. So like the red team company was called Siegecraft. And then we had Smokescreen. And then in the middle, I did an IR gig called Securus first. Um, so, yeah, we, we ran through a number of names. We wanted something that was um, and, and here, here's a pro tip for company naming in the future. If you're ever going to talk to Gartner, uh, they sort alphabetically. So you want to be named something with A because it, no matter where you're listed and, and look at us at Zscaler, right? We could be top of the pops, but we're always <laughs> listed at the bottom. end, right? So that, that's how the name came up. We, the company almost got named Chimera, which is like some two-faced god or something the like that. The mythical creature, yeah. yeah. But then it was difficult to spell and then Smokescreen just was easier. Um, and to your next one, I like it. Yeah, the only Kerberos problem is there's, I take it too, right? there's, there's a transformer <laughs> named Smokescreen, so our SEO was a real problem. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look at that. I had a coworker at F5, and he legally changed his name to Mega, Megatron or Megazone. Megazone, that was it. <laughs> Sound like a transformer. That was it. Yeah, just the whole name, just Megazone. Just like Meatloaf. <laughs> yeah. May, may rest right. Like Madonna. But but your next question was really cool. So th- there was this time when we were we were working with like a really large bank and they said, okay, we're going to POC uh, Smokescreen. And this was one of our first POC. So this was a big deal for us. Um, so, and this was the time when there was a bunch of these ba- uh, banking hacks happening. There were the Swift hacks going on and there were these ATM uh, hacks happening. And so we plugged in the, the ATM tech. jackpotting. Yeah, it wasn't the jackpot. Yeah, it was kind of like the jackpotting stuff, but uh, this was more like much less cool they just used to have some uh, money mule get at the adm and then they would uh, have admin rights and you know pull out cash um so what happened was uh, back then there was i think this might even predate sudarshan um we had basically written v1 of this and we deployed it and within 15 minutes we start seeing what to us looks like lateral movement amongst atms and we're like oh man this stuff is so broken <laughs> right like no way this is not working and so we spent like three hours just trying to debug why like we're getting these false alerts and then we finally just gave up we're like okay no no this this just is weird so we go to the bank and it turns out that right then at that exact moment uh when we plugged in um there was a hack going on and we had those decoy atms and we were actually seeing real lateral movement and that was the fastest like sale that i can remember like we were just like purchase order done <laughs> Yeah, uh, there are no discounts when that happens. We're going to preserve some margin today, folks. <laughs> no, no, no. We, we were an Indian company. We, we will always ask for a discount. So we did give them a good discount. <laughs> ah. uh, uh, the second one I saw was uh, WannaCry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was cool. Yeah, yeah. So what happened was yeah. we had these decoys deployed in all these customers. And um, we were at a security event. And then suddenly all the chief security officers start like, jumping on their phones and running out. It's, it's, it's looking very like... Uh, hardcore and at this point nobody knew like it wasn't called WannaCry it wasn't in the media it didn't have a name nobody knew what was happening but what had happened was we had all these customers who started seeing SMB lateral movement 
and they started blocking because they like we used to tell them if you see it on the decoy just block it don't think uh we saved um a bunch of different organizations and you know a CISO called me he's like I got five years of value in in 15 minutes with this product because that's the cool thing about deception when it actually goes ping something is going on wow so like legitimate yeah that's pretty wild okay I mean even lock4j right we are uh, we are seeing uh, exploit attempts every single variation before you know it hit Twitter. 80% uh, of the, correct me if I'm wrong, Sudarshan, 80% of the log4j exploit attempts that we saw came from sources that were not public because what you saw in public honeypots is very different from what you'd have seen, say, in like, the way we do it at Zscaler. That's pretty cool. Log4j was cool. All right, for a non-technical question, uh, see here, I understand you are a poker player, which is actually very fitting being in the deception uh, area, and I'm going to give you a choice here. You can tell us about your worst bad beat in poker or a time you put a bad beat on someone else. Yeah, I haven't played in a while. At one point, it was like uh, alternate source of, of income. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I was really that good, but I just liked the idea that it was not it's not a game of chance. It's a game of, um, you know, like it's a game of fundamentals. There's math behind it. If you, you play keep... against the player, you don't play against the house. Yeah, technically you could play technically perfect poker and at some point you will win. Um, yeah, I've had some really stupid calls typically because I'm not that great at math. So invariably the bad beat was on me. But I used to, uh, you know, <laughs> to your point, I used to love the, the heads up thing where you're getting in the other guy's head um, and sort of faking them out. So it, it, I do not have a poker face is what I discovered. And so I don't play that much anymore, <laughs> but, but it's good fun. I, I highly recommend anyone who's interested in game theory or math in general to, to pick up poker as a game. It's, it's tons of fun to deconstruct the game from a geeky, nerdy perspective. Pretty cool. There's been some discussion of whether or not the U.S. should intervene in what's going on between the Ukraine and Russia. And this is not intervening by giving them kinetic weapons or sending ground troops, but should the U.S. hack Russia to stop their advancement into invading Ukraine? I, I wonder if, like, there's any... So there's levels of what hack implies. There's gather info, there's OSINT, there's a ton of stuff that could be done, which is on my, maybe the more passive end of the scale, and I'm certain that's already happening. I'm pretty certain that offensive ops uh, didn't start and didn't end um, with the current crisis, so I'm sure that it's already happening uh, and going on. The question is, did it get ramped and to what end and what objective? Um, I, I think what was interesting was this is one of the first times you've seen this um, idea of calling on the the hacker collective, if you will, not just anonymous, but in general, motivated folks to go after a nation state. And and my general rule of thumb is you don't mess with someone with ready access to polonium. But I'm, I'm curious. I'm just I'm just <laughs> wondering what's happening. You know, like, are, are there folks who are literally saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to go take them on. I'm going to go find something. It's a very interesting and sad but weird time. Yeah, there might be like a vigilante group, sort of like Anonymous. There might be these vigilante groups going out there and seeing they can go in. And I think there was a hacker collective that was trying to mess with the Belarusian train system because Belarus was providing aid by using the trains to transport troops and, mm -hmm. and military goods. So there's hacker groups that way. But I guess this is more of 
U.S. Central Command, like our concept of defending forward, had a mess with the enemy, uh, should we do it and tip our hands and say, yes, we have a, a red button on the president's desk, and if he pushes this, all of Russia goes dark, all of Moscow goes dark. Every green, every traffic light in Moscow turns green in this mass chaos. Like, should we tip our hand that we have these capabilities? You mentioned right. the president thought that was the button for ice cream. He's just like... <laughs> <laughs> I think those capabilities have existed for a while. So I think it's an, it's a relatively open secret. I mean, uh, for example, when the shadow brokers leak happened, I mean, yeah. we saw some pretty sophisticated tool, tooling out there. Um, so I, I, I think the only difference that we would see is to, uh, what's the level of escalation. Uh, and I don't think it's going to be more government to government, probably enterprises, probably where the, the money's at. Uh, because uh, I mean, if you if you want to shut down uh, a gas pipeline, for example, um, you know that that's relatively easier to do uh, than than probably try to break into the NSA. I don't know. Yeah, um, I, right. <laughs> I, I would agree, and it's probably it's all at this point. It's kind of like guerrilla warfare, right? It's it's if you have a, these little bands of groups, they may not they may be individual groups, not necessarily sponsored by the government, right? But they have some kind of association, like like they may have gotten access to a couple of cray computers to help them with something. Um, you never know, right? But uh, I think guerrilla warfare seems to be the thing right now, as far yeah. as how these little incursions occur. Yeah, I think uh, in terms of the question that you had asked, which was should you uh, get involved, I guess uh, a policy decision from a government uh, is one thing. Uh, but, uh, you know, calling on, you know, unvetted general population with access to, for example, stuff like Metasploit uh, or Cobalt Strike is probably, uh, is the same question as, hey, you know, should we give... Uh, guns to everyone and tell them to aim and uh, sh shoot at at whatever they want uh, and that's that's kind of where uh, it can get really tricky and the polonium thing that Sahil said which I thought was <laughs> very relevant to the equation I let's put our tinfoil hats on real quick I I personally believe and I think that China's figured it out forget TLS 1.3 let's go back like this two years ago where TLS 1.2 with PFS, you know, with all the weak ciphers yeeted from that stack. I, I believe that they've figured out a way to intercept that transparently and do nefarious things. What do you guys think? Is it plausible? Am I on crack? We, we've had this conversation before. So it's, it's have, the okay. weakest link problem. So essentially, um, you don't need to attack encryption, right? So especially if you control the endpoints of encryption pre and post, uh, that's the easier way. Like if even if you were like a red team guy or just you know non nation state grade guy, right? You, your easier sort of way to get access to encrypted cobs or any sort of data would be before it's encrypted or after it's decrypted, and that's usually so much simpler than we assume. And I remember like back when I was naive, I met Bruce Schneier at a conference, and he was at he was at the buffet, and I was like, I gotta ask Bruce Schneier something. So I asked him this exact question and he gave me the Bruce Schneier stare down of like, you, you, you worm, like, do you even understand what you're talking about? <laughs> and he gave me this exact answer. So I've just given it back to you, Brian, but without the stare, because I, I don't have Bruce Schneier's eyes. Yeah, it's like you don't try to break end-to-end -end encryption on Signal or Telegram or, or WhatsApp. You just install a keylogger on the phone and then you get you know, all the messages that way.
the well, user the always the wants principle... the, the, the video of the dancing bear, right? That's the that's the weak link. Yeah, but look at but look at the you know the quote unquote Great Firewall of China, the latency that they impose when you're traversing that. It it does make you wonder. Like I, I have seen some weird stuff in the past where, uh, like a Google Drive file was modified, and literally you know Chinese government has interjected and said we 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 put we pulled this out. And so at first glance, you're like, my God, did they man the middle of it, or did they just tack the endpoint, or did they have like you know an account that can go in there and scan it maybe from an out of band perspective? Who knows? Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting quick story there. So when we first started doing file decoys, like uh, we had these file decoys that would beacon home kind of like if you open them. Uh, so we used to have to share them. So we would send them to each other on Slack or we would put them in Dropbox in different places. And it was crazy where stuff would phone home uh, from. So like I remember we once put stuff in Dropbox and 15 seconds later, we get like a ping on that file decoy from a random AWS IP and it shows that it's using some way out of date version of OpenOffice. Turns out that for whatever reason back then, I don't know if they still do it, Dropbox used to use headless OpenOffice to scan files for links, like whatever you put in, in your drive. And then that used to phone home to us. So there's all these weird ways that you can actually get a side channel indication that somebody is accessing content. To your point, Brian, I'm certain it's happening. I just think that we overvalue the attack vector in favor of far easier things. So hold on to here. So that that is the idea, right? So now the the thought that I'm using all these SaaS services that are out there, built AWS, Azure, or whatnot, that the thought that you know there's some security on top of that that I personally as a company shouldn't have to be concerned about. What you're telling me is you should be concerned about. I mean, unless the file server is sitting in your data center, which you should still be concerned about, at least you have control over that. What you're telling me is, even from a SaaS standpoint, there, there's, there's, there needs to be a little bit more oversight on that. Oh yeah, I mean, anyone who investigated Log4j on the offensive side, like just basically spammed like a an exploitable line somewhere, like we saw it happen on the Teslas and stuff like that. There are people who got pings back days later because somebody must have got that in a database then it went to some third party that you never knew was processing your stuff um and if you want to do the easy way of this like just you know go create an account when you sign up for services just tack on a plus or something and then just wait and see where your data goes so definitely yeah it's a thing yeah it's a it's the lack of transparency actually it's uh, it's not that you know i don't mind people uh, companies like scanning my files, for example, if it adds functionality and, and makes my life easier. But what sucks is that you don't know about it and you're not told upfront about it. And, and, and I think that's really where a change is needed. Otherwise, it just makes people not trust you. It's like, oh, I'm yeah. sure they told you in that 1,000 page long terms and condition that you are forced to accept before you could use the service. When you clicked enhance my experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right uh so before we get to our dad jokes here do you want to give maybe a, a quick pitch on what active defense actually does yeah i think um you know and, and funnily the conversation has kind of alluded to some of this stuff i think um the realization i think it's maybe the CrowdStrike guys that say you don't have a malware problem you have an adversary problem and that's a very nice pithy way of summing it up in security today, we have been so focused on catching bad software because that's what we've had to do since probably the 90s. Uh, we haven't realized that bad software is firstly an intractable problem because bad software can look like good software. 
instead, um, you need to start thinking about catching human beings on your network because pretty much any attack that really bothers somebody is going to be hands-on keyboard. So what we try to do with active defense is essentially stop thinking about bad software and start thinking about human beings, their decision-making, how they go after stuff, Um, reverse engineering, not their code, but reverse engineering their mindset, their psychology. And once you can do that, uh, the weakest link on the attacker side of the table is the attacker himself, their own cognitive biases and the way they work. What we try to do with that um, at Zscaler with deception, deception is just the first piece of this, is essentially make life exceptionally difficult for adversaries. We've already reduced the attack surface on, on, on the networks with zero trust. And now we're creating this fictitious attack surface so that if and when they do get in, we're going to make life exceptionally hard and make sure that we can detect them. So it's a really fun, cool new capability. Um, there's a very topical, like just yesterday, I think the, the MITRE folks, a lot of listeners here might be familiar with MITRE attack as a framework. The MITRE folks launched what's called MITRE engage, and they've done a great job. MITRE engage is all about active defense. It's like MITRE attack for active defense and human adversary. So go check it out. It's um, engage.mitre.org. All right, I'll be sure to put a link in the description for anyone that wants to check that out. Well, we continue to get great comments about our dad joke of the week. Dad joke of the week. I, I, I had to Google, I, I admit. I'm not a dad, uh, but I, I will try. So I told my wife, but, Facebook... But hold on, yeah. he's he's a cat dad. I'm a cat dad. I was told <laughs> it doesn't Best dad joke ever. Brian, Brian was very clear <laughs> that that is a joke in itself. Um, so, so I told my wife, Facebook is changing its name to Meta. And she asked, what's a meta? I said, nothing. What's a meta with you? (laughs) Very Boston of you. I like it. Um, Mine is actually a real one. And it's a real dad joke because my dad made this joke. Uh, So uh, I hadn't, uh, the the company hadn't sent an electricity bill uh, in a a while. You know, in India, the way it works is you have somebody come out and check the the meter reading and then they they write it down on a piece of paper and then they take it back and then that's how you get your bill and sometimes they don't they don't uh, come by for for a long time so what happens as a result of that is you get a bigger electricity bill you know uh, a, a few months down the line so I was telling my dad this that I don't think they they came out for a while because now I've got a uh, I've got a huge electricity bill and he and he says that's shocking. Well, that's all we have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's special episode. You can find us all on LinkedIn. Links will be in the description. Follow us on Instagram at PebTech Podcast. Thank you to all our listeners and subscribers who rated us five stars in the iTunes store and Spotify and left us a review. We appreciate you all spreading the word to help grow the show. The best way to find us is to search for the PebTech Podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. For my co-hosts, Brian Deach and Glenn Medina, and our guests, Sahir and SP, I'm Chris Lloyd. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next weekend. As always, have a nice day. Thank you all. Bye, best friends. Thanks for having us, guys. Thanks. It was awesome.